I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right. So welcome to the TARDIS, Donna. Now don't talk. I can't do your voice. So just listen. The TARDIS makes a lot of noises. Some of them important. Well, alarming. Well, downright dangerous, if I'm honest. So let's run through them so you can recognize what they mean when you hear them. That's the engine starting up totally normal. That's the cloister bell. That's the TARDIS getting a like on Facebook. That's Captain Jack Harkness wanting me to call him pretending to be his mum so he can bail on a date that isn't going very well. That's the TARDIS expressing displeasure at the idea of Chris Marshall playing the Doctor. And that, that's the TARDIS toilet struggling to flush a big poo that I did. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Doctor Is In, your new weekly Doctor Who podcast. I am your host, Paul Verhoeven, and a sincere thank you to everyone for the overwhelming response to the debut episode last week. It it really meant a great deal to me. When I saw how high the show had charted on iTunes, and this is a true story, uh, I was actually sitting on a tram and I did this sort of involuntary scream, and the lady next to me who was a wee bit elderly, she, her initial reaction naturally was to scream at the noise that I'd made, and we both sort of just screamed at each other for a good six seconds, so I I panicked, and I apologized, and I quickly, like, stood up, uh, pulled the bell buzzer thing, and ended up just getting off the tram, and realized that I was a half hour's walk from my stop, so I guess, thank you to everybody for listening, and Screw you for stranding me in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, this week on The Doctor Is In, we are chatting with head writer of Whovians on ABC2 and prolific stand-up comedian Justin Hamilton, and we're going to be delving into the history of the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton. But first, and I really can't believe we haven't come up with a better name for this segment, so I guess we're stuck with this one. It's time for Whose News Is It Anyway? Nope. Still hate it. First up in Doctor Who news, casting rumours. Now, there is so much to unpack here. First of all, I am on the record as saying, yes, I think the next actor to play the Doctor should be a woman or a person of colour or both. I want bold, brilliant casting from the BBC. So when rumours got out over the past week that Chris Marshall of My Family and Death in Paradise fame was being cast as the Doctor, everyone sort of flipped out. Now, the claim was made by British tabloid The Sun, and everyone just sort of ran with it as if it was gospel, and then papers claimed that the BBC had assured some idiot parent who didn't want to explain to his kids that changing gender was a thing that a woman being cast wouldn't happen. Now, a few days back, another rumour leapt up. Apparently, um, Michaela Cole from British sitcom Bubblegum was going to be up for the role, uh, which was actually claimed by the website The Nerdist. Now, uh, Michaela was born in London uh, to Ghanaian parents. She's a great actor, but she's also ticking all of the diversity boxes that I previously expressed I think should be ticked. Honestly, at this point, here's the upshot. Nobody actually knows, apart from, you know, the BBC. Here's my shortlist for who I would like as the Doctor. Idris Elba, first up. Uh, Amanda Abington from, from Sherlock. Hayley Atwell. Although I am really nervous 
because, and this is a true story, I once went for drinks with old mate Murray Gold and the head of casting for Doctor Who in Melbourne, and we were in this bar, and uh, I scooched over, and I told the head of casting that we needed two things uh, from the next incarnations of the Doctor. We needed an angry old man, sound familiar? And we needed a ginger at some point. And she looked at me, put her drink down, and said, good points, both. And then we got Capaldi, so maybe the Chris Marshall thing is true. Oh god, what have I done? What have I done? Anyway, next up in news, the first Doctor is back. Now, do you remember how last week I referred to William Hartnell as a cranky old bastard filled with scorn? Maybe that's paraphrasing, but regardless, this season is going to see the first Doctor collaborating with the 12th Doctor in this year's Christmas special. Now, the details are obviously sketchy, but he will be played once again by David Bradley, who played William Hartnell in An Adventure in Time and Space. And he also played Argus Filch and Walder Frey, so let's just hope he doesn't invite the Doctor to a wedding of any sort. And now it's time to catch up with prolific comedian, head writer, and news guy on Whovians, Justin Hamilton. Hello. Justin. Wait, before I say this, have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Yes. I'm, I am consistently fascinated by how these things have become mainstream. And and the Doctor Who fandom, you know, like, like you know, as fans of it, it, it was off TV for a long time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And did you feel any kind of sense of resentment? Uh, resentment's not the right word, but do you feel any sense of like, well, where were you when we needed you towards people who jumped on, you know, in uh, in the 2000s? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I Well, I get, um, I definitely am a bit... Oh, look, I, I, I'm like, the more people in the merry, merrier, you know, I love it that there's more people oh, watching it. God, I love yes. it that there's more people involved in it. Um, I do, uh, I, I, you know what, like, I think maybe when I was younger, I would have been a little bit like, yeah, don't try to tell me how this goes. But I, now I just kind of am quite entertained by, you know, I remember a few years ago talking to a couple of AFL players who were explaining to me that the reason the Spider-Man reboot didn't work was the main reason was because they didn't have the line of with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and I remember looking at these muscular dudes thinking, how do you know that? How do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember uh, the my 2004 comedy festival show, I used to start off by telling the audience my... I'd, I'd say, hey, you, some of you might not know me, but I'm going to I'm gonna tell you my origin. And I would then say, you know, uh, I was raised by a, a loving family in a, in a pretty big city, and they took me to the opera one night, and when we were leaving, uh, a gunman uh, <laughs> killed them. And, and, you know, back in 2004, sometimes you would get to the bit where you were becoming Batman before anyone realised what you were talking about. Oh, I would hazard a guess now. I would say, I'm going to tell you my origin. And people would say, is this Batman? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or they'd roll their eyes because they go, well, which iteration of Batman is this? Is this the shitty Zack Snyder one with the... Oh, God, that was awful. But you're right. I feel we've kind of... We're in the middle of this weird nerd renaissance where nerds... It's not a dirty word anymore. And you look at Doctor Who fans now and they are just like... There are Doctor Who fans in every single demographic. And have you seen that reflected in, you know, the studio audience of the show? Have Have you seen it reflected in people that have come up and, you know, talked to you about the show nowadays? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I feel like the, um, <laughs> to, to, to be honest, and I, 
and I mean this with um, a, a, actually a lot of respect and love, but mm. I feel like the audience looks exactly how I think they should look, which is, you know, they turn up in costume and, uh, you know, like I, I guess within that there are dis- different shapes, sizes and colours, which yeah. is, you know, I which is which is wonderful, isn't it? Like it's such a wonderful thing to, uh, to see. And I, I also think... Um, I think Doctor Who, especially since they've brought it back, has been. I think it's. I think it. Because people forget that it's family entertainment, and I think it's been really strong in the way that it's portrayed. Uh, you know, different sexes, different um, uh, different sexual persuasions, and I think it's. I think it's been quite subversive in a in a very uh, subtle kind of way, mm. and I, and I think that's. Um, I think we are definitely seeing more of that. But you know, it's like you know, especially when you talk to people who are Doctor Who fans now, you know, you've got people who are politicians, you've got people who are, you know, you've got someone like Will Anderson who's the host of, you know, Gruen. Uh, who's, who's a massive uh, Doctor Who fan? You've mm. got uh, all sorts of. Uh, like I know, I know heaps of women that are into it. And I, I don't think I knew any girls that were into Doctor Who when I was uh, <laughs> when I was a kid. I'm not saying that they weren't out there, but I just didn't know any. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just I, I love it actually. I, I I really love it, and and I'm a firm believer in family entertainment, uh, especially where kids are involved. They should be presented with big ideas. Yeah. Whether that. Yeah, whether that big idea is some big scientific theory or something as simple as the companion uh, really digs girls. Like, that, that's, that, that, this is exactly the environment that it should be brought into because no, that's what fiction should do. You're right, because we're in we're, it, it's set in a universe full of infinite possibilities where literally any race and any, you know, magical thing can happen, so why can't women like women? Like, that's, that's you know? Right. So I think you're right, though. You hit on something there when you described it as, like, adventure because there used to be that... Remember video stores? Remember when video stores used to exist and there was that section yeah. in there called Adventure and there was, like, the Goonies and Indiana Jones and that... that <laughs> Sort of, and that's exactly what Guardians does. It's that wholesome but really deceptively complex form of entertainment, which Doctor Who does so well. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, once again, uh, not getting, uh, not not giving anything away. So anyone was saying, I don't want you to panic. But um, wasn't wasn't Drax's story arc quite beautiful oh, without ever losing the comedy? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm sitting there the whole time, going, they have gotten so. Like, this sort of story has gotten so sophisticated where I am, like, tearing up about every single character's backstory. And you're right, 15, 20 years ago, people would have not necessarily rolled their eyes. They just didn't know. It's like, there's this whole, this really rich vein that's been struck thanks to things like, you know, the Marvel movies and thanks to things like the Doctor Who revival that has brought this stuff into the mainstream. I got, like, people who used to bully me at high school will will message me on Facebook. And these dudes have, like, no necks. They are enormous. And they will ask... (laughs) They will ask me what I thought of the latest Game of Thrones. And with no, like, sense of irony or mocking, like, hey, mate, what did you think Arya meant when she said... And I'm like, I don't know. But, like, last time you asked me anything, you weren't as, as gentle as you're being now. But it's like... It's like a universal language. Like, everybody speaks yeah. this language now. It's like everybody's being really cool about this fetish we all have, you know? Right. Well, you know, it's... Um, I think it's... Uh, you know, one of the, the things that humans are really good at doing is being astounded and then just accepting it and uh and and when i say good at it i don't know if it's necessarily i don't know if it's necessarily a good thing like i think it's a it's a coping mechanism for when tragedy strikes (laughs) but also but also i think it means that sometimes 
we take things for granted. And, and I don't think people quite realise that the world we live in now is a science fiction world. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like just even think about the way you and I are recording this. This is... If, if you follow um, Jack Kirby's Fourth World, we're, ter- we're talking on mother boxes. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like this is this is uh, boom tube technology, which in in the comics was like you know came with Kirby crackles, and now we've got like we just do this. Like you you, you touched a, an object with glass to call me, and I picked up with an object that I touched glass, and now we're having a conversation about how. Guys without necks watch Game of Thrones. Yeah. And you know, like, we won. <laughs> It's but, insane. But I don't know if we quite realise. No, because I think the the thing about this is like we were watching um we were rewatching some Deep Space Nine, which is objectively the best Star Trek uh, series, and we're watching it. And there's an episode where they walk into an office, and Jake's been working on his book, and there are like iPads everywhere. But the the, right. the great part, the part that they got wrong in the most charming way, is the fact that it's one book per iPad, so it still looks like a messy writer's desk. So it, instead of having like one, like you know, like a Dropbox file in a single iPad sitting on his desk next to a bottle of whiskey, they've just gone. They, you know, they didn't see that final step. But like, can, right. can you think of any examples of like where Doctor Who has managed to, you know, cast forward accurately and predict something? Because we still don't have, you know, um. Time machines, but what what did it give us? Sonic screwdrivers, maybe. Well, you know, this is this is drawing a, a slightly long bow, but um, as you would probably know, that I had um, uh, I had uh, kidney stones at the start of the year and had to have uh, three operations. Yes. One for the initial moment where we discovered them, and then I had to go back in and have uh, both kidneys cleaned out. Mm. And it wasn't a sonic screwdriver, but I. The, but the operation was um, I, I was put under general anaesthetic and they did it with sound waves. <laughs> Can you, if, you, if you had to pick a specific doctor to lean over you and grumble and sonic your, you know, your nether regions to loosen some kidney stones, which doctor would you prefer? Oh, man, that is a good question. Well, look, I, uh, like I have a... I have a real leaning towards uh, Matt Smith because I think I would say I think I would say something he would say something that would scare the heck out of me and then he'd see the panic in my eyes and I think he'd just say the right thing before the general anaesthetic kicked in. Sure. Um, but um, but then then there's the bias in me. And I would be quite happy to see someone like John Pertwee because he looks like he's been around for a while. Yep. He's done a lot of stuff, and he would, he, you know, what? He'd be a bit gruff, and he wouldn't be up for a chat, and he would just get on with it. <laughs> yeah, he'd be practical. Whereas you, like, you don't want Tom Baker because you you get the wrong doctor on the wrong day, and immediately you've just got new things grafted to you, and he's in the corner eating a jelly. <laughs> right. Like I've, I've improved you, you yeah. know. So, uh, but yeah, and you know the, um, you know, uh, someone was telling me, and now, and you live in Victoria, so I, you, you might be able to tell me if this is correct or mm. not. But um, I was, uh, I was informed that they're not teaching fairy tales in schools anymore. What? Uh, for, that was uh, someone was telling me this last night in uh, when we were talking about stuff in uh, Launceston, and I haven't had time to check this out. But if that's the case, I think that is terrible because. Fairy, uh, fairy tales, fiction, sci-fi stories, the, you know, watching things like everything from Doctor Who to, you know, to Interstellar to going back to watching movies like Silent Running, uh, you know, all, all of these things, uh, all of 
these types of entertainment, uh, they're, they're not only entertaining, but they they allow people to dream. And when you dream, you don't know who's watching and dreaming and thinking, well, why don't I just make that? And how many, I would love to know how many scientists read Arthur C. Clarke. Because he seemed to have, a lot of his books seem to have predicted a lot of things that, you know, came about in the future. Mm. And uh, I think I think people underestimate the power of fiction and they get, they get too caught up in the restrictive idea of sometimes a story came along at a time when, you know, maybe uh, girls were placed in the, in a corner and, and, and not given the full character that we would get now. But you don't need to ban them. You just need to update them. That's what's always happened. Yeah. Right? Remember, you know, Little Red Riding Hood, she ended up getting eaten at the end, you know. And then the Grimms came along and they sanitised it. Well, you don't need to sanitise it, but you can update it to make all the characters a little bit more three-dimensional, still keep the essence of the story that allows people to be, to dream while they're into being entertained as kids and who knows what they'll grow up to be. And I, 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 that's what I love about Doctor Who. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I... I always and it's it's always throwaway lines as well. You know, my favorite. I think my favorite line in when since New Who's been brought back is um, in the Christmas Carol episode. And you know, there's that great entrance by Matt Smith, and he's pointing around and he says, "Who's that?" And uh, Michael Gammon says, "That's totally important." And he says that line of, you know, in all my travels through time and space, I've never met someone who wasn't important. And you go, "What a great line!" Oh and, God, and, I know. And kids are hearing that, you know, and that's what kids should hear. Yeah, I think. yeah, absolutely, and just. You're right, though. The show is infused with this thing that fiction and fairy tales do so well, and it's that, like, not... Because real life doesn't always present, especially children, with role models, you know, in the form of real people. There is nothing wrong with looking at fiction and looking at somebody like the Doctor and going, I kind of want to have those qualities. I want to I wanna be able to impart wisdom upon people. I want to be able to walk into situations and try and do the right thing. That's such, a, like, a basic idea that just doesn't get pushed by real people all the time. You know? Right. Right, yeah, I agree, and you, like I, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I uh, this is something I only realised about myself in, uh, in maybe in the last three or four years, but uh, there's there's lots of TV shows that I uh, like. I was raised by a single mum and didn't really have a strong male figure in my in my life, especially while growing up. Mm. Uh, or you know, maybe there were a couple of you know uh, friends, older brothers, or, or things like that, but they were kind of a bit transient. And uh, you know, I, 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 I would gravitate towards certain shows that would have certain male leads, and I felt like I would learn a lot from you know, really well-written characters. And you could say, well, that's ridiculous. They're fictional. But the, the great thing about a fictional character is you get the you get the quiet moments that you don't get in real life with people. So in many ways, you can actually know them better than the friends that you actually spend time with. And you can learn from them in the, in the process. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by uh, the, the, the power of fiction, the power of the word and, and, and what you can do with it. Because I, I, I think it can be quite extraordinary. Do you think that's what's happening with Doctor Who? All the fans are getting together and kind of just chilling out, geeking out about their cool space dad? Like, do you think... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Like, I think think the great thing about it is, you know, a lot of people get a lot of different things uh, out of it and uh, none of that is... Uh, none of that is incorrect. Um, You know, I've been enjoying this season. I felt like... um, you know, the, the writers always say that writing Doctor Who is the hardest thing that you'll ever write. And there's, there's times when I've thought, oh, you just just stop telling me that. Like, yeah, like it looks hard. Like, don't, you know, there's a, 
there's a massive gap between Neil Gaiman's brilliant first episode and his lost its way second episode. And yeah. I love Neil Gaiman, and it kills me to say that. But um, but you know, uh, I think um, I liked a lot of Moffat stuff for a while, and then um, I think he really did a disservice to um, to the uh, to Jenna Coleman, who I thought was a really good actor, but got saddled with the character that we were told that we had to love, and he'd forgotten to show us how to love it, and we were just told that she was important. And um, I think he's I think he's course corrected for this final season. I think he's caught up to where Peter Capaldi. I think about halfway through last season, he caught up to where Peter Capaldi's performance was, and uh, <laughs> and I think he's done a really good. Did you know what I mean? Like, I thought Capaldi was great from the first episode, oh. but I can't—I can't remember any episodes from that first season. I couldn't agree I, more. You have an amazing, amazing, like award-winning race car driver in 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 a lemon, basically. And yeah. now, and now they've built him a better car, and it's going to be the car that drives him to the end of this season. And I really hope it doesn't conk out. I don't think it will, honestly. I don't no, think it will. I, like I feel like I—I'm more invested in Bill in three episodes than I was in uh, all, all the seasons with with Clara. And as I said, I thought Jenna Coleman was—I thought she actually probably brought more to what was there than um, what we were being presented with. But it's really important to get that right because, once again, we have to remember kids are watching it and, you know, we want to, we, you know, we want to be invested in it. You know, like, you invested in uh, Rose from the moment that you saw her run down the street holding the doctor's hand and they were both smiling and you went, I want to hang out with her all the time. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And and they've really managed to do that with Bill, I think, get it back on track. Oh, I couldn't agree more. By the way, I I, I don't know who's, um, do you have a, uh, not necessarily who's your favourite doctor, but who was your first regeneration? My first actual regeneration that I saw was Seven into Eight in the in the uh, telly movie, but I, I'd actually watched Seven and his entire tenure on TV. So watching right. watching my first and favorite Doctor regenerate into somebody who I have grown to love through the audio plays was pretty spectacular. Um, oh, don't you don't you wish they'd do a um, just do a mini series, like just come back and give Paul McGann a, a six part mini series that's like a full story, so we just get at least one, you know season that's alongside I know you know I know it would be so good or just just give him a three-parter like bring him in for a three-parter I would love to have some flashbacks you know just bring him in for some just bring him in for some flashbacks or you know just just let me just let me stroke his face lovingly for 10 minutes a week that's that's fine as well I don't think that's too much to ask yeah I was um I was uh, Tom Baker into into Peter Davidson so I have a, a real soft spot for for the fifth doctor um and uh, even even though it's really embarrassing uh, to admit now, I, uh, uh, I I cried when Adric died because it really because and you know why I cried because he, he was so painful and I was really surprised when he died. Yeah. <laughs> I was like I was like oh he's he's not going to save him and in that point in in that moment I thought oh no he, they they turn a character that you just was like oh shut up into. Oh, now I feel really bad. For yeah. and, it, and it pans down. down it pans down to the golden star, and the, the the title music doesn't play over the credits. It was heartbreaking. Right. It was amazing. God, it hurt. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. They, they give a useless, annoying character a poignant death, and you feel guilty for having judged him week after week. You know. Right, right. And Davidson, there was uh, Davidson's performance. Like he was on uh, that poor guy was on a, uh, you know, it, it was it was very much like you know Matt Smith following. 
David Tennant. Like, yeah. You're on a bit of a hiding to nothing when you've got everyone loved Tom Baker so much. I remember as a kid, everyone, oh, this new guy. <laughs> Once again, too young. Lots of people getting complaining that yeah. he was too young. Exactly. exactly. So, and then just before you go, I, I'm also curious. Uh, do, do you have a do you have a leaning as to what you want the Doctor to be next, or who you would like it to be? Um, I have a theory about the Doctor that is absolutely unfeasible and uh, awful because I, I have made no secret that I would like. I mean. I actually kind of want Amanda Abington to be cast as the next Doctor. Um, she played uh, Watson's wife, you know, that amazing, like, assassin from uh, from Sherlock. I think she'd be amazing. I think um, dream scenario, Idris Elba. He's too busy. But my, I had this weird theory oh that... imagine Idris Elba, oh like a God. Doctor who could punch you, punch on. That, was, that would be great. The last Doctor that punched on was Pertwee, so I think it's got to be, yeah. you know, like a, like a... I think we need Idris Elba. I think I think we should get Idris Elba. I think we'd, we've earned or it. You, or, or do you have him play against type? Do you have him look like he could bruise on, and then it turns out he just works everything out intellectually while everyone's being intimidated by his, by his incredible physique and his, his, uh, his stunning good look? I, yeah, I think that's it. And I also would like to see Idris Elba in Bessie. I think that'd be a nice, <laughs> you know, just a, a nice callback, you know? Oh, yeah. well. Well, look, um... Yeah. yeah. I think I'm just up for... I, I don't care who. I just... Uh, they, they, they pick, but just, um, you know, roll the dice. Take a big swing. I That's agree. what I reckon. I agree. Well, we'll, well, we've probably got a few weeks until they announce it, and then the internet's going to be on fire, but until then, we're going to keep watching and enjoying the show. So, um... <laughs> Justin <laughs> Hamilton, um, thank you so much for the chat, and I will I'll talk to you soon, all right? That sounds great, mate. Thank you. See you, mate. Bye. Bye. Time now for Doctor Who Cliff's Notes, the segment where we give you a beginner's guide to a classic doctor. Now, just in case you're, I don't know, held at gunpoint by a madman in a clown mask, and he's like, what hat did the second doctor initially wear? And you'll say, stovepipe, you wore a stovepipe hat. And the clown will yell, actually, it doesn't have a flat top and is therefore not a conventional stovepipe, though I will accept that answer. And then he'll shoot you in the leg and leave because... I mean, he's a clown. He's unpredictable. Wow, that got weird fast. Anyway, that's actually perfectly on point for this installment of Doctor Who Cliff's Notes. Imagine this, okay? You love Doctor Who, and you watch it to see crabby old William Hartnell, who had fairly hectic issues with the producers of the show behind the scenes. You watch it to see him travel through time. Then, one day, the character up and dies on you, and suddenly, there's another actor playing the same character. Now... This was the very first time audiences were introduced to the idea of regeneration. Now, it would have been a bit like when your budgie dies, you know, and your parents get you a totally different budgie, and they're like, this is Maxwell, your budgie, and they're nervous, clearly, because they're pointing to this new budgie, and you say, but mine was blue, this one's green. Oh, look, a distraction, they say, pointing behind you before running off, leaving you with a totally different bird. Now, when Patrick Troughton regenerated into this totally different bird, his companions, like you, were initially sceptical. Until later on, when they heard the Daleks confirm that he was the same doctor, they were like, okay. They figured maybe he'd undergone some drastic new spa treatment to look younger. Exfoliate! Exfoliate! I hate myself. Anyway, Troughton's second Doctor wore bonkers clothing, which heavily influenced Matt Smith's turn as the 11th Doctor, right down to the bow tie. You see, the second Doctor used buffoonery as a smokescreen to pull off pretty devious plans. Now, many of the second Doctor's episodes were taped over, because back in the day, the BBC only had a limited number of tapes. So, you know how your mum would record over your favourite show with her stupid favourite show? Well, the BBC did that with most of the second Doctor's run. And there have been extensive efforts to recreate these episodes by using intact audio, so we now have complete or partial reconstructions with animation filling the gaps. But 
Uh, something else I wanted to point out about the second Doctor is that Patrick Troughton's second Doctor was the first incarnation of the Doctor to meet the Brig, aka Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, the sexiest period person period ever period in this show period. He worked at UNIT, he grew to love the Doctor, and he had an incredible moustache. His Doctor now works at UNIT, incidentally. Kate Stewart from the 50th anniversary special. Now, I would let the Brigadier kiss me on the face and or mouth any time of day. He knew most incarnations of the Doctor, and one of the best moments in Matt Smith's run was when he called up to talk to the, the, the Brigadier, and he was informed that the Brigadier had passed away, which tied in with the wonderful Nicholas Courtney passing away in real life. I, I love the Brigadier, and the Second Doctor is the reason we had him around. But something else you should know about the Second Doctor is that the Time Lords punish the Second Doctor by forcing him to regenerate. You know how you used to get forced to do your homework? This is exactly like that if your homework involved your bones and skin and hair and blood exploding and boiling and reforming and turning you into a totally different person, which incidentally would probably make a very good way to scare the crap out of your parents, though it would make school photos the next day super awkward. But the thing about the second Doctor is that the Time Lords didn't just force him to regenerate for being a very naughty Time Lord, they also took his companions at the time, Jamie and Zoe, and wiped their memories of the Doctor. So as you can see from uh, the pilot in this season, wiping memories of people the Doctor cares about is not a new thing. And it's also sort of old hat for Time Lords, who, as you've probably discovered by now, can be kind of awful. Now, the second Doctor established so many important parts of the Doctor Who universe, so many villains, so many aesthetics, so many styles of writing, and he was mad as a box of hair. I absolutely love him. Now, there are so many great episodes to watch with the second Doctor in them, but the ones I would recommend would be Tomb of the Cybermen, which I think might get a bit of a callback this season. The Ice Warriors, again, an introduction to a wonderful villain, and there will be some Ice Warriors in this season as well. The Invasion and the War Games. Now, next week, we are looking at Pertwee, which is coincidentally exactly the same noise one makes if one gets one's delicates caught in one's fly of one's trousers. Sadly, that is all the time we have for The Doctor Is In this week. I do hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And if you haven't already, uh, please head across to iTunes and leave a rating, uh, subscribe, you know, leave a review, all that other good stuff. It's always super, super helpful. Extra special thanks to my very special guest on today's episode. He was wonderful. Justin Hamilton, uh, head writer of ABC 2's Whovians. Uh, you can also follow him on Twitter. Uh, and also, 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 something very, very exciting is happening. Next week on The Doctor Is In, I'm going to be chatting with Sarah Dollard. She writes the third episode of this season, Thin Ice. Um, I'm, I, I've just got so much to ask her. If you have any questions for Sarah, please, you know, um, hit me up on Twitter at TDIIPod. That's right. I actually have a Twitter account uh, for this podcast and the handle is absolutely awful. Anyway, I'm really enjoying doing this show and thank you so much for telling me how much you're enjoying it as well. I will see you bright and early next week at the start of the week for episode three of The Doctor Is In. See ya. <laughs>
quince.com slash style. 